Welcome to the CEO Stylist Podcast, where two unlikely CEOs come together and rewrite the narrative of what it means to be a CEO stylist. Yvanka Loria and Kirsten Harris are on a mission, giving stylists permission to join the movement of artists breaking the mold of what is meant to be for the hair industry and creating the life and schedule of their dreams. Fast forward through many failed attempts and lessons learned in the process, it's time to level up the playing field. It's time to call BS on what's been done before. Yavanka and Kirsten are ready to share it all, defying the odds of the industry and teaching you how to do the same. Welcome back to the CEO Stylist. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. Hey, Kirsten. I feel like I haven't seen you for ages. It has been a minute. Where have you been? Been hiding. Hiding in my little shell. Yeah, there you go. Well, we've got a ripper today, haven't we? We've got a ripper today. We've had so many people call in for this one, so... We have... And I don't even know where I think the girls may have put something on our stories and really the topic today is we're going to talk about who owns the client. It's really a, a topic of hot conversation. Correct. Uh, and I think everyone who owns a, a service-based business will have their own opinion, but we thought we would take a few stories from the public. Our listeners, yep, and we've had a few answering, so we thought what a perfect opportunity to give our take and hopefully share some advice. All right. Be, a, gonna... be it right or be it wrong. I'm going to read out the scenario. and You're going to read out their stories or their I'm questions? Gonna, I'm going to read it out and then let's thrash this one out because I, I don't even know what I'm reading yet. Amazing. This, this is best. Sitting... Off the cuff. Off the cuff. Okay, Fresh. Go for it. All right. This is situation number one. Hi, I'm a 39-year-old salon owner based in WA. I desperately need advice on how to handle this situation. Basically, I had a staff member, a 25-year-old female apprentice, let's call her Laura for the purpose of the story. Laura recently breached her contract and in line with this, a significant work issue has occurred between my Laura and one of our very loyal clients at my salon. Oh God. I won't get into the details, but the breach of the contract had a negative impact on my reputation, on the salon reputation, and nearly caused my loyal client to never come back. So I had no choice but to let Laura go. So I understand that we all make mistakes. So instead of firing Laura, I spoke to her maturely and she had agreed to not verbalize the issue and resign from her position on paper, making the resignation look like it occurred on good terms. Now, Laura has gone and found employment at a new salon. However, here's the catch. The salon she's working at is actually owned by a friend of mine. Let's call her Mary. Mary reached out to me to let her know she was hiring my ex-staff member, which I was completely okay with. Now, back to Laura. For some context, Laura had been with me for over three years and had developed a rather loyal client base at my salon. Now she has moved salons and is working for Mary, who owns Laura's clients or who owns the clients Laura was looking after when she worked at this person's salon. Does she have the right to reach out to the clients she service regularly at my salon and let them know where she has moved? Interesting. So, so <clears throat> I think, you know, this whole topic of conversation is who owns the clients is one thing, but it's really who owns the client list or the database. Mm. Right, because so let's just recap on this. Laura did her apprenticeship with this salon, so it sounds like yeah. So she was a twenty-five-year-old female apprentice, and Laura breached her agreement. She's now gone. She's now gone, and now she's working for Mary, which is a friend of this salon owner, and 
So in that time, so let's just, I'll assume by reading this story that Laura worked for salon number one for a few years, like completed her her apprenticeship. So at Mm. least four years, right? Okay, so she came with no clients because she she came the usual, really. Like usually, when they come to a salon, interesting. And I think this is what it comes down to. Here's my here's my take on it, and then you can you know you can add your take as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's so tricky because I think going back even to when we were looking at you know leaving our accountant and we wanted to work with the accountant that was leaving, there was a contract in place even if we went and sought out the accountant that she was restrained even in agreeing to work with us. Right. Even agreeing to work for us. So I think this is where it gets a little bit blurred lines and tricky with salon owners and, and staff moving on because no one, no one has issues with people moving on. And let's be real, like in this industry, it's such a personal relationship that you build. And I think in this particular scenario, I think there's two, two things that could, could work, you know, for both of them or, or maybe even because it sounds like there's a lot of collateral damage that could occur because if the salon owner um, or the two salon owners don't get on the same page, you know, it could backfire. And it sounds like the salon owner called out and reached out. So she didn't hire her without reaching out. So she did the right thing. I know if that was me, I would be saying to my friend, what would you like me to do in this situation? If I'm taking this client, if I'm taking this staff, staff member on, what would you like me to do? Because I think this is where it could go wrong. If the staff member moves on and then there's a decline in the business and that particular salon has other team members that they need to build I can see where it can get a little bit of a gray area but let's go back to actual the issue so the issue was what who owns the client well again it's always the salon that owns the client but staff don't see it that way let me just rephrase that I feel like the salon owns the client but it's up to the client where they want to go right right it's a it's a, it's a little bit because so now that I've been on the other side not to interrupt you I yeah. can I can see because I was that artist and now I can see it as a business perspective as well but it mm. really is up up to the client at the end of the day right well I, I mean that's the perspective there's there's two issues that I got out of that one is I think the closing question was something like does she she as in Laura have the right to reach out to the client's who she regularly serves. So my question number one, back to who has whoever submitted this in, how is it that Laura has a client list that she could contact them? Because there's not been a mention of social media accounts. Correct. So I'm going to assume... So my upfront answer to that is social absolutely media. no way. Like yeah. if we're talking about a client list that Laura could have her hands on, mm-hmm. then no. I think that that is in really But a client form. list also would be like these days let's be let's face it everyone is on social media. But that's not a client list. That's completely different. I'm talking But it's still like, a client database. Well, no, it's not. It is if they can reach you and contact you. But, that, but no, a client database is literally like your phone number pulling a report For and sure. you have direct phone contact. number. So to that I say no. And this is where I think salon salon owners get a bit demented over what is ethically the right thing to do all around ethically I think the right thing to do for someone leaving is not to make direct contact with the clients we all know because we're connected in social media that if a client of salon number like a you know that wants to follow a stylist they're going to find out so whether or not the existing salon notifies the client list and let lets them know that Laura's left. 
this is where she's gone, but we would like to keep you as a client. hundred percent. That's how I would handle it. Correct. So to answer the question that's come in, should she be allowed to contact the client base? No, no of course not. But you can't <clears throat> stop the clients from making Contacting, their own decisions. Contacting, of course. So that's... And you can't stop the client from contacting them yeah. either. But like I was saying, you know, remember when I had a staff member leave, Roland, which was one of my friends for 20 years, yeah. and he had his own salon, went to Melbourne, came back, worked here for a year, went and opened up his own um, salon or, you know, yeah, rented chair from home. That? Exactly, because I just, we had this trust between each other. And it was so funny because when he left, you know, he essentially took a lot of my clients over and built his clientele here because he had just came from Melbourne with no clients. And I was aware enough to be like, hey, if the client's going to come with you, just take them. And he was honestly one of the first ones ever that I've ever come across that when the clients were reaching out, he would decline them. And he, right. he would say no to them. And he would screenshot the message and he would, he would say, I'm sorry, I can't touch anyone from Wale, which that's where I was going back to with, yeah, I like that. with the accountant. That's where it's a fine line because in any other industry, especially yeah. corporate, even if clients do reach out to you, mm. the right ethical, if you're speaking about ethical thing to mm. do, would be like, I'm sorry, I can't touch anyone because I'm under contract, mm. which is in the contract. But employees do sign... Uh, agreements but i think where i i believe the industry's probably got this a bit mucked up a is bit they, put, they put this um non-competing clause in which could be interpreted that you're essentially stopping a stylist from doing what they know how to do which is very difficult and that's earning income which yeah. you can't prevent you can't, from earning income but you can definitely put some parameters in place i believe to stop to them. try to protect yeah Correct. Soliciting. So Solic it's called client solicitation. 100%. It's vastly different from the client finds out where her favourite stylist has gone and she's 100%. Follow. Don't and make it the client. I say audience. Never make, make it the client's problem. Never make it the client's issue. A exactly. Right. And if, if that's a big takeaway, I think this is where salons also go wrong, where they get the clients involved. Mm. And like you, what you were saying, exactly, if you have a database of your clients, reach out, let them know it's your responsibility to have that relationship with your clients. And then really at the end of the day, if they're going to go with that staff member, they're going to go. There's nothing that you can do about it. Yeah. All right, so for situation number one that we just read out, we both agree that the salon A owns the client, but well, let's not make it the client's problem. Let's not make it the client's problem. Okay, so you ready for number two? Ready. Number two. God, this is... Okay, Whoa, I can see capital letters at the end. <laughs> Hi, I need some help. I'm a fully qualified hairdresser, 28-year-old female, and a few months ago I applied for a job at my dream salon in Brisbane. I was lucky enough to be hired at this salon and I couldn't believe it and everything seemed perfect, absolutely perfect. For some context, this is an extremely well-known salon in the industry and it was hard to find a job opening to begin with. It's important to note that when I applied for the job at this particular salon, I had my own personal Instagram account for my hair services and business that I'd already had over 10,000 followers. Now that I have the job, the salon has actually asked me to sign a contract stating that any clients I service at the salon, including my own clients that I had retained and have serviced personally for years, 
before I started working there will now be owned by the salon I'm working at. I feel a bit stuck. This is my dream job at my dream salon, but I don't think it's fair that they take ownership of the existing loyal clients just because they hire me. Where do I stand with this? Does the salon have the right to these clients even though they were originally my client? Please help. Mm, fascinating. So, so let's just recap. She's just, she's the employee in this case. She's just landed her dream job as a stylist. She it reads as if she's had her own, her own. like she's definitely had her own hair Instagram page with 10,000 followers. And it does say um, that she was servicing this client. So I don't know whether she was rent a chair or, or whatever it was, but let's assume in context that she's joining this salon and she has her own client database that are following her. Mm, correct. And they want her to sign a contract stating that any clients I service at the salon, including my own, that I've retained and serviced personally for years before I started working there, will now be owned by the salon. Mm. Help. In capitals. Help. In and capitals. I think rent a chair wouldn't apply because if you're renting a chair, the clients belong to you anyway. But in this situation, it sounds like um, she's an employee of the salon, right? Yeah. So can I give my take on it? Sure. So here's, and this happened to me as well, where I was working previously to coming here because I had start to, started to build traction um, with my own social media following and I started to pull in clients because I was, you know, starting a niche service and bringing in something that the salon didn't have. So for us, it was a little bit more clear cut because obviously when I left, we were happy to, to take, for me to take the clients that I brought in. And I kind of still stick with that. If the if an employee has a following and they're really big and active on social media and they're bringing awareness and they're bringing, um, you know, they're bringing extra clients to the... I, th I feel like that's where salon owners need to be a little bit more fair mm. and be like, you know, a middle, have a middle ground where they're able to take the clients that they've been able to bring in. Yeah. Don't you think? So leave with what you started with. Leave with what you started with. Yeah, I that's think how that's I fair. see that. Mm, and I, I certainly in my time when I owned salons that was that was a real that was a scenario that came up regularly and I always had the opinion in fact we used to create a list of who those clients were and they were marked in the system so we knew that they, they were well, and where they'd come from so when a new employee started it was really it was clear. easy to so it was to track. easy to track mm. um so yeah I have the theory leave with what you started with I agree and if so, you're really good, and I hate to bring Roland into this. Sorry, Roland. Sorry, no, but in a good way because, you know, we're still so supportive of one another, help each other. Yeah. And when you have that, you know, that when you're amazing at what you do, kind of like a salon, but you just have more responsibility and more risk. It's not really about you when you lose, you know, because it can really cripple and butcher a business mm. when someone leaves with a full clientele, right? Because if oh, you yeah. have other team members, it's yeah. not really about lining your pockets. It's more about making sure that you're, you know, the risk for the for the other staff members that they're taking care of, right? Mm. But with Roland, when he left, it really took him about three months to build up his own clientele. Okay. Do you know? So yeah. I think with that mindset, and I get it, I get the artist that's leaving or the stylist is like they want to also leave with you know some sense of security yeah you know so i think if they just find that middle ground i think it can be done amicably and respectfully and mutually we're both parties isn't it really interesting though i'm just going to come back to something that you just said so when roland worked sorry roland <laughs> real mention. he's gonna love so a mention roland worked for you he left he went out on his own and you just said it took him three months to build his own client base 
from my perspective, certainly in my role now, and it's a regular conversation that I have with clients, why is it then when stylists are employed, they're not working as hard as the self-employed stylist to build that client base? It's always the way. So, you know, they're not... Okay, so for Roland, let's use him as an mm-hmm. example. He's self-employed, he doesn't have any staff, and he solely relies on his efforts to you know, input versus output, right, or vice versa. So that was his whole focus, I assume. He left with nothing. He had to start again. So he made it his mission to build a client list. I I guess I come part frustration with when I see salon owners, they work with me, you know, they spend a lot of money on marketing to generate clients for their team. This might end up being another problem we could solve. And then you still have stylists that work you know they've been in the salon for two three four years and they're not at capacity Mm. why i think it's also a little bit of psychology i think also when when you're comfortable there's no reason to push yourself because you've got that security right because what you're saying is because they get paid they get paid regardless and most people and i hate to label the industry and i hate to label you know most people but most people will just do the bare minimum Mm if they're given an opportunity to do a job and especially because that mindset is hourly rate so hourly rate comes into it as whereas when they're working for themselves it's a whole different dynamic because again they're doing something for themselves and i think that you've got a lot more to lose yeah right and a lot more to gain if you can make it work so but then it can also happen when someone goes out by themselves they have a rude awakening because everyone mark our words that goes out on their own will have a different respect yeah and we'll have because we we were all that young artists that were like but these are my clients you know um when you don't even give a second thought to the business right yeah but when you're in that position i think you know given a time everyone will understand when it happens when they go through it Mm. who owns the client then right who owns the client then and can i ask you a question sure do you you know because now there's a lot of salons that we speak to that you know everyone is you know a lot of the artists are going out on their own independently renting a chair Mm. um do you think people that rent a chair will feel it on their own as opposed to someone who's actually running a team and running a salon give me the scenario well exactly that if they're only running their schedule and their business and their column and their team will they have the same feeling of what business owners go through as opposed to running a team yeah i do i do believe so and in some cases from what my observation is that a lot of let's not just call it rent a chair they've got high costs especially when they they're not running a team because it's all about their own their own they're trading time for money so there's only so when you've got one person that's trading time for you as one person there's only so much you can do in a 10 until you hit a cap 12 hours right you can't have five people sitting in a chair well i don't think you can and servicing five people at once so when you're on your own i do think the pressure is there Mm, even more so even more so than Mm. if you've got a team the the sweet spot is everyone needs to work at capacity correct but i don't think they'll ever feel the sting of someone taking their clients unless they lose clients and it affects their pockets they'll only ever feel it if they you're talking now rent a chair yeah i'm talking about okay so scenario is they've been employed in a salon they resign they leave they go out on their own they take their clients I 
believe they'll only really feel the impact of that when they employ and it happens to them. That's what I was saying. Yeah. But they'll still feel the sting of, you know, I thought the business was making more from me than what I was. Yeah. You know, they'll feel that sting. Or or it's all those unexpected costs that come up. But I do think that there's a lot of pressure on on Rent-A-Chair because, you know, it's expensive to run a business on your own. You don't have the... I won't say luxury because it's not luxury having staff. It's a it's a responsibility. Sometimes a liability. <laughs> it is if they're not at capacity. Correct. Yeah. Can be. So there you go. Interesting. All right. All right. So we we both agree. One. We both agree on that one. Yeah. We've got one more. Don't peek. I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> I have to read it in order to. No. I have to. I have to read it in order <sighs> to for it to enter my brain. I think I was asked before to describe you in three words. I should have changed crazy Serb to control freak. (laughs) Okay, here's the third one. Hi, I'm a 42-year-old female business owner with three separate hair salons in Queensland. I don't work directly in the salons doing hair, but continue to manage and orchestrate all three businesses from the back end. Recently, within the last 12 months, all three of my salons have undergone a much-needed rebrand. We hired a graphic designer who solidified our brand colours, language, logo and everything in between. In line with the rebrand, all of the staff members at each salon have also been asked to update their professional hair Instagram pages to match the main salon page and happily obliged. This means that all employee page usernames include the salon name and an employee Instagram bio's somewhat correspond with each other so for example it would be at sarah underscore and then the salon name i get that so now for the issue one of my fully qualified stylists who has been with me for two years has just resigned and has asked me if i'm happy for her to change the name of her hair instagram page remove all of the old photos that she took of her work at her time at our salon and continue using the instagram account on a fresh slate She plans on opening her own salon and starting with her own business and wants to use the same Instagram account because she's accumulated a loyal following of around five and a half thousand followers and doesn't want to start growing a brand from a new account. Now, I don't want to be the bad guy, but I feel uncomfortable knowing that an ex-employee will be utilizing an Instagram account that has nearly all of our existing salon clients on it to promote her new business. Keep in mind that this business is seen as a competitor to our salon and has the potential to take away clients from the business. This employee created the Instagram account six months before being employed by us, but didn't upload any feed posts or utilize it. She only started utilizing this hair page once she was employed at our salon and was regularly posting stories, feed posts, and her followers grew rapidly during her time at our salon. What do I do here? Does she technically own this Instagram page created before she was employed at our salon, despite her success occurring during her time at our salon? Does it make a difference if it was labeled under our salon name? And how do I prevent her from taking our current salon clients? Mm. Please help. That's That's a big one. That's a big one. So I'm reading this. So so in, in context, she, the employee created that, hair Instagram Six months before she started. And she, it got, it was renamed Sarah underscore salon name. Yeah. Under the salon's name. And they built it up to five and a half thousand. I think, can I give my take first? I think this is where it's really important. Um, when I first started and I didn't, I had a, I had an issue with a staff member that built it up. I was in infant stage of my Instagram account. 
she didn't do the right thing in the end, left on bad terms, and then um, we sent her an email saying, can you please just take down all your photos, blah, blah, blah. But she still got to keep her Instagram following. Yeah. And I knew intuitively that I was going to build a team at that point, and that's where, you know, honestly, we got this. I got this from Natalie Ann, and I thought it was a brilliant idea where before they even start, you have to lay out the contracts, the social media contract of what the expectation is because it sounds like once it's done and dusted and if you don't have anything in place, once you get to the two-year mark, then you're like, what happens? And it's a little bit tricky to decide if you haven't set the parameters around, mm-hmm. you know, a policy, a social media policy yeah. or expectation. And my take again on it, I have that in place as a protection. What do you have in place? Social media policy that right. we own the handle. Um, we own the handle. We have the password. So you set up the Instagram So page. we set up the Instagram and it's part of the KPI structure. So yeah. I know we've spoken about this before and I remember you saying, you know, ages ago there's no incentive for them mm. to do that. But it's part, if you embed it in culture and embed it a part of your onboarding process, I believe it becomes a part of the culture. And mm. it's just an expectation and a clear KPI, which I explain to my staff because before our KPIs used to be upsell, upsell, upsell. Yeah. As whereas one of my KPIs is just post two or three times a week. Right. It's okay. not that hard. It's part yeah. of your job. So if you embed it, it's really clear you set out the expectations and then they agree to take on that role. And then what happens in your salon then with their Instagram account? Because that's different to this and we'll come back to this scenario. So when an employee leaves your salon, so you if won't my, the if page? I, so if my employee leaves a salon on good terms, it would be up to me to give them that page. Would you? Absolutely. If yeah, they left, right. like Roland, I was like, take Roland. the page because he was amazing at it. I completely trusted him. Right. Okay. And I was like, take the page. I don't care who, con-. You know? do you know what I mean? Because he was always honest about leaving. He was honest about where he was going, what he was doing. There's no issue. Right. I think the thing is that, you know, it's really, it's just there for protection when people leave and they don't do it the right way. Mm. Because if I had a staff member come to me and was like, yo, I've done, you know, say it was Ash, for example, who's been with me for five, six years. She's yeah. pregnant now, which she's announced to everyone so I can say it. <laughs> and if it was Ash and she said, yo, I want to, you know, open up a salon at home, even if she's down the road from me, I would give her that her Instagram handle because she was honest with me. I still trust her. She's been with me for five, six years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I would never take away that opportunity because she's still been loyal through and through. But just because she wants to go do her own thing doesn't mean that I wouldn't give her access to those clients because I would find her anywhere, right? So now come back to this scenario we've got. coming, it's a little bit tricky because there's nothing in place from the beginning. And I think it's case by case for me. Because again, if she's done the right thing and you trust her and you know that clients are going to find her regardless, it really, I'd say, be open to it because depending on it also what location she's in. Right. Is she close by? How close is she? Do you know what I mean? There's so many factors because I can be a hard ass with some things. It's more like they don't do the right thing. But if this girl sounds like she's done the right thing, she's built it up for two years, she's built up a following... For two years, I would be more inclined, me personally, if she did the right thing to give it to her. Well, here's the thing, though. She she doesn't need to do the right thing because she owns the Instagram page. That's technically... I'm just answering the questions. Does she technically own this? She, as in the employee? Yes, she does. Well, she came there with it. Correct. So the, I feel the, like the, the salon owner... The does not own it. No. The salon all. owner should have cleaned, like started it from a 
their own page. She owned the page before she came in. That's kind of like on the on the salon owner. Because we all start when we employ Correct. someone, we all think that they're not going to fuck us over or do anything Correct. bad because everyone loves each other on the way in. We don't think about worst case scenario when they're on their way out. So to answer the question, does she technically own the page? Yeah, yeah she the does. Employee owns it. However, yeah, but because she was, despite her success occurring, doesn't matter. You allowed that to happen. Does it make a difference if it was labelled under our name? No. And I guess there's a few things that we don't know. Was there a social media agreement signed? Even if there was a social media agreement signed, that if, if the scenario is as a salon owner, you allow an employee to re- name like name the change the naming convention of their professional hair mm, page to you. match yours then technically they still own it what you do own is the ip and the ip is extended to only to the photos correct not to the followers correct you're right you're absolutely yeah. right so then you, she, because fair? it's public it's a public domain that's correct. how this works so you can contract if you're going to run it this way and i've got clients that do both and i'm going to talk about my scenario in a minute my experience with this but you can contract that they can remove the photos on Correct. the way out yep which is fine and still keep your following and you know there's some things mm-hmm. that i think all salon owners should be aware of who's taking the photos and what phone do they belong on mm, correct so it's all those things mm. i see it a lot you probably do stylists have their phones in their pocket mm. so they're whipping their phones out to take photos when I had my salons, I was really hot on this about mobile phones had to be away. Mm. Uh, and I believe things have changed a lot. Like this was a few years ago now and there was one central phone that everyone used and that's, as far phone. as I'm concerned, that's where the, the photos sat. I have had experience with both where we created and that's how I really, really wanted to run it in my business that we created the hair pages and everyone as an employee you got to have that hair page and we kind of coin it that it was a privilege but no one fucking did anything with that and Mm. then I was challenged by my communications manager at the time Lani and she said I think there's an incentive and now I respected her opinion because she'd come from a you know I guess a highly geared brand outside of the industry that you know helped grow a very successful social Mm. media platform and she, you know she said there's not a lot of incentive for them to do it because when they leave they don't get to keep any of this the followers are kind of dead and I went okay like I so I felt really vulnerable as a salon owner mm, then sure to go well I, I have to do this like I'm more or less so mm. I just I, I think I surrendered to the process because I'm like if you're going to allow them to have their own social media platform which helps the brand Mm. and I I actually really like that where you can have it in your contract to remove all the photos any IP because it's your IP yeah and then they can keep I think that's but it comes back to the client like Mm. the real issue behind all of this it's not really the social media accounts let's be fair like it's all the concern will always lay with where does the client sit in all of this and I guess it's the clients that are building the relationships, so that's a given. Yeah. It's like someone working for a cleaning company. Yeah. You know, your cleaner, you become close with that cleaner, she knows your family. And it's annoying as the seller. It's annoying. Owner. It's annoying for us as the business owners, right? Because your your team say they're my clients. Well, actually, they're not. I fucking pay the bills. Like, they're, yeah. they're the clients of the business. You just happen to service them. Correct. But you didn't bring them. Correct. I I paid for them to be here. Correct. Is that your take on your experience with it? Oh, well, you know, well, I think I've spoken of my story where I've had that scenario in Sydney where he believed that... 
they were his clients so he doesn't think that there's any ethical issue and Mm. I think all of these scenarios are always designed around you know everything goes well until the the employee leaves everything goes well until it doesn't until it doesn't right and then so that scenario that I had in Sydney that we've spoken about was awful no matter how you looked at it but at the end of the day they weren't his clients Mm. those clients belonged to the business and the business paid for to for them to come to the brand yes that stylist was looking after them it's it's a we- it's a weakness. It's I know. a weakness. It's it a weakness really is. and a strength. I, th- I think, like you're saying, you're a lot more exposed because of the relationship building, you know, and that's yeah. why I just encourage anyone that's listening that has a business, the best thing that you can do in this situation, that's why I, I strive really hard to connect. Even, even though I'm off the floor, we have, you know, developed, um, you know, a solid um, relationship with our clients. Yeah as well because that's the only thing that you can do and then it's really up to them you know in other industries there's there's restraint of trade clauses right but i think a lot of people are abolishing that i don't even think that i think that's just a scare tactic yeah because you really can't or my sister works for a law firm and they all have their own clients right and i've asked her that so you're midway through uh a client profile and what happens when you leave and again interestingly I don't know if all law firms work like this, but she said it's the client's responsibility but they to make that decision. So they they are given the option. So they're notified that their lawyer's leaving. And they tell them where they're going? I believe so. That's the best way. Yeah, and then uh, in order for that file... So there, there are some legal constraints mm-hmm. around the outgoing lawyer, but they are in a, the client is in a position to redirect their file. So Correct. I, and do you, do you know, I was just thinking back, this is a very Tony and Guy strategy. Do you remember back in the days why they actually implemented, you know, um, once, a, once an apprentice finishes their apprenticeship that they need to choose and specialise in a certain area. Right. Whether they were colourist or whether they were um, a cutter. No, I, I never... I mean, I knew that that was their model, but I and thought And do you know why that the... model was introduced? Purely so that the client didn't belong to that one person. Yeah, right. As whereas now, we've implemented even with what we do, it's such a high-end customer service that we encourage... No double booking. That client is with you from start to finish. Yeah. So again, you're you're exposing yourself to having that one person touch that one client. But that's why it was implemented. And mm. when I was younger, I was like that disgruntled artist. Why like, you can't put me in a box? I want to do everything. Yeah. But it was very clear if you want to work in these salons, you have to specialize. And that was the reasoning behind it. And I remember smart. that was trying. Wasn't smart. It was manipulation. <laughs> It was manipulative, but now I see the other side. Now I see the other side, mm. and that was their their way of trying to protect their business. But mm. they were again losing. This is what I mean. If you if you look at it both sides, they implemented it for a reason to protect the business. But then they were losing the artist because not all artists wanted to just pigeon themselves. So it's kind of the same thing is happening again. Yeah. So I just think it has to be a little bit more respectful. If it's done properly, you know, you'll benefit from it. In the long term, the salon will do right by you. The clients will do right by you. And then it's up to, you know, what's that saying that we went and did in Bali? Algorithm. No relationships be, be algorithm. For sure. You they know? really do. And I, I think my parting words as we wrap this up, as the salon owner, as much as it hurts and we know how it feels, regardless of the scenario when an employee leaves, 
uh, whether they were good, bad or indifferent, it does hurt. It hurts emotionally. It hurts the business in some way. But my parting words and gift is don't be that disgruntled employer. Don't talk about it in the staff room. Don't share it with other team members. Just like move from it, learn from it. Learn from it and move forward. Yeah. And then everyone can, you know, find their path. That is a really important thing. I remember working for, you know, staff and hire me if you want more clients. And hire you if you want more clients. That's Joking. right. It's so true. That's why, yeah, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, I think now, 2024, it's going to be interesting what happens this year because, mm. you know, everyone has dropped a little bit in services. It is a little bit more sticky situation. So I think um, if everyone just focuses forward, focuses on what they do best, they will always come around and end up. I wrote a caption this morning that will go on our, our socials, like my BDB group socials, and it's all around, it actually is around, uh, it's coined, social media is not marketing. And so I, I want that, like, I want that to land with people that social media is not a marketing strategy and there is so much more as a salon owner that you can do to nurture those relationships regardless of who owns the social media account what's going on what those dynamics are i think that there is a lot more you can do to potentially safeguard you from losing clients like it really is around i wrote a caption a little thumbs up to this one will probably be out by the time we release this podcast around you know the client nurturing oh, so important. build that relationship as the brand Correct. If you allow your stylist and the, the only touch point that your client has in the business is when they're sitting in the chair, that's on you as the owner. 100%. And I think this is an important, have plan B. You're always thinking of the positives and like mm. you're saying, you don't know what's going to happen mm. until it happens. It's kind of like having a, a crisis management in place. Yeah. If you think yeah. about it, also when you're when it happens, you're kind of prepared for it. You know, so hopefully we can it have It will more. happen. It will happen. I say this to my clients now. They, if my employee leaves, I might, I don't know, rephrase it. When they leave you, because they're not going to stay. Like, 100%. we all want to think. And do you know, on this note <laughs> as well, we've had so many more uh, people come through as well, asking we or wanting to share and, and commending us for sharing our story, whether it was good, bad, indifferent. I know, that was like a bit spicy, saying, wasn't it? a bit it? spicy, but then everyone's coming out with their own stories as yeah. well. And I want to bring a couple on as well who want to share. I really want to open up this conversation because we can really keep scratching the surface on it. And I think by sharing people's story, because it's always the good ones that keep quiet. Yep right it's always the good ones that keep quiet and the ones that are chattering in the background are usually the ones that are digging their claws into a situation so let's keep opening up this conversation if you guys have any more stories or any more scenarios you want to share please do and we'll bring them up on our podcast as well we might invite you on as well to share if you're if you're open to it there you go on that note we're going to wrap it up let's wrap it up All thank right. you guys thanks queen thanks queen b